You're listening to episode 22 of the Almost Sideways podcast. On this episode, we discuss the current announcements regarding the Oscars, as well as review Mission Impossible Fallout. In honor of the 10th anniversary of AlmostSideways.com, we discuss some of our most heated movie debates, as well as talk about our favorite actors of the past 10 years. All this and more are coming up on the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. This is all totally not getting cut out. Yes! We are go for launch. Almostsideways.com. This movie review site is run by three guys who love movies and want to tell others how much we love movies. That was our description we gave our website 10 years ago when we started it. We are just three guys that love movies and we want to tell others about how much we love movies. And Wait, when, did it, when did it turn into three movie guys, three movie opinions, one movie website? You know, that was enough, that was our like tagline, but this was our this was our <laughs> description. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this uh, this is a very special episode of the Almost Sideways podcast as we are celebrating two different things. First off, almostsideways.com uh, started 10 years ago this month. About 10 years ago, I had just graduated from college, about to start my first job out of college. And uh, I remember Zach came out to visit me in my brand new apartment. And we said, hey, we should we should start a website to talk about movies. And we called Todd on the phone and brainstormed for like two hours what we should call it. And eventually Almost Sideways came out of that. And that was 10 years ago. Zach, can you believe that was 10 years ago? Uh, it feels like just yesterday. It kind of does. However, it also feels like an eternity. <laughs> yeah, and like we had to meet in person because, you know, there was no such thing as Google Hangouts or uh, FaceTime or anything. It was yes. a different era. Yes, thanks to the magic of Google Hangouts, the podcast is able to be brought to you. Um, so that was 10 years ago, and one year ago this month, we started this podcast where... A very similar conversation happened between Todd and I, and we decided, hey, we should we should start a podcast where we talk about all this stuff. Todd, can you believe we've been already doing this for a year? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> In a word, no. <laughs> it is pretty crazy. Uh, we're glad that Zach has been able to join us. Uh, only a couple episodes in, Zach joined us for this podcast, and I think it's better for it. Uh, but yes, this is a special episode. We're going to be talking about um, the last 10 years uh, in uh, several of our segments today um, and uh, kind of celebrate what's been the last uh, the last 10 years of working on this site. Honestly, I think we might be the only ones that look at our site or listen to us sometimes, but I don't really care because it's fun to do and I love having it online and easy to access. But before we get into a lot of the other stuff, we actually had some breaking news this week. And it, it has to do with one of our favorite events of the year, and that is the Oscars. And the Oscars came out and announced some very big changes 
uh, to the Oscars coming up uh, this winter in uh, the beginning of 2019. Zach, why don't you walk us through what some of those changes are and kind of your reaction to them? Well, I think, um, you know, the Academy announced uh, a few major changes this week. I think the two biggest ones that we want to pay attention to are uh, the first one is that they want to keep the ceremony under three hours in length. And the way that they uh, are going to try to do that is by um, awarding some of the awards during commercial breaks. Apparently, these are the less desirable awards that people are maybe less interested in watching. So, uh, yeah, that's profoundly disturbing. Um, And the second major change they want to make is the announcement of a most popular film category. These are for... Achievement in popular film. Oh, excuse me. Achievement in popular film because, you know, uh, films like Get Out aren't really popular, so they need their own category. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this. Todd, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, the other thing that they were changing is that they moved the, they're going to move the ceremony up to, like, early February, which I think is weird because that's moving it past the awards that come before them but it's also not enough time for us to actually see all the movies before the ceremony which i think is a little bad but i mean it is kind of a pain in the ass waiting till late march but, yeah that wasn't that wasn't such a bad thing i don't mind moving it up a little bit um, i know but i like to be able to have access to the movies before the ceremony actually happens but either way the most popular or the, the achievement in popular film is a strange way to go and i don't really know how the eligibility or voting is going to work for that because pretty much anything could be considered that and it could just end up being like the the biggest box office movie of the nominated films or something like that but i don't know they'll have to figure something out because it looks like it's just a way for abc or or disney to get marvel an award because they host the oscars and I mean, that's pretty much what this is geared toward. Like, this year would be Black Panther and Infinity War, you would think, would be the ones that they're trying to get in. Yeah, and and the whole strategy behind it is to try to appeal to younger viewers. I guess uh, they're upset that the average age of the Oscar viewer is not young enough. And uh, my response to that is really uh, a twofold. Number one, um, why not make the Oscars streaming. Uh, I tried to stream the Oscars last year. It was virtually impossible to do. And uh, the second part, which I think is a lot simpler, is uh, let's not make it so racist, okay? How about let's stop the racism and the sexism in the films that get nominated? How about that? Let's actually be diverse in the films that we nominate. I I realize they're doing a better job of that, and I guess I'm being a little cheeky when I say that, but uh, there's always room for improvement. We've only had one female Best Director, no African American Best Directors. Maybe that's what we should be focusing on instead of, you know, keeping best cinematography during a commercial break. Well, I think that's what a lot of people's reaction has been to this, is there's so many things that the Oscars need to be working on, and giving an award to the most popular film is not the the thing they need to be working on. I mean, it, it's it's almost feeling like it's going to water down the Oscars a little bit by saying, well, let's let's... I heard someone say, let's pause the Oscars for a second and have the People's Choice Awards in the middle of the ceremony. And that's, that's, not, that's not the point of the Oscars. The, the Oscars is, is meant to be something different. Um, my, my, so, my idea for what is going to end up happening with this achievement in popular film is the nominees are going to be the five biggest box office films of the year. 
and then they're going to vote on which one of those is the best. That's what I yeah. think is going to end up happening. But who's going to get the award? Because if you have, like, the producer of what, whatever movie uh, accept this award, then who really cares? Like, are people actually going to watch and, and, and for someone, some random producer to accept an award? And let, I mean, unless the, the movie is accepted by, like, Robert Downey Jr. and he's now an Oscar winner because he was at the Star of Infinity War... I mean, like the the whole thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They they got they have to come up with some guidelines for this. And I would agree with you, Terry. That it's like they're avoiding some of the real problems with the Oscars. Like if you okay, if you really want to make the ceremony more interesting, how about we don't have these you know hagiographic, uh, self-absorbed uh, you know montages of the great uh, movies of the last seventy-five years? And the I mean, gosh, I feel like there are three or four of those every ceremony, and they're just so empty. And uh, that, why why can't we just get rid of that? You know, cut down some of the musical numbers. No one really cares. This isn't the Tonys. I mean, there are a lot. There are a lot more practical solutions than what uh, what they're suggesting. Well, and I I like how how the Oscars ends up being a celebration of the history of film too. But I see what you're saying. I see there's other things you can do to to cut it down. But I mean, I I watch the Oscars every year, and I might be a minority in this. I don't think I've ever said, "Man, this thing is going on so long." It feels it it feels like a pretty quick ceremony i mean yeah it ends up being three and a half four hours but i never at no point do i ever say man when is this thing ever going to end it's pretty I, I think it moves at a pretty brisk pace yeah yeah but you know we're always going to watch the oscars no matter what happens i mean they're trying to get n- new audiences you know they're tr- and and because people don't go to the movies anymore because the ticket prices are too expensive and because movies american movies are all the same like you know, they have to make it about the ceremony and make the ceremony exciting, like the Tony Awards or the People's Choice Awards. And uh, as purists like us know, because we're better than everyone else, uh, that's the wrong uh, step to make. Well, and it's funny because, I mean, like Todd mentioned, the the whole point of this is to get Black Panther or Infinity War and Oscar. The thing is, they're going to get nominated anyways. Those, movies like that always end up in the in the technical categories. They'll get nominated for visual effects. All the people in those movies are going to be there anyways. So what's what's the point? In, I mean, you think bringing this one award in is all of a sudden going to drive the younger audience in by the millions? I think the people they're trying to reach, I don't know if they're ever going to reach them. So stop trying. Why, why not educate them a little more on on the quality of film that that's coming out and uh, that's being celebrated at the Oscars instead of trying to dumb down your ceremony to appeal to them? And I think it also undermines that the steps that the Academy has taken the last few years to diversify um, the voting body to be more inclusive. We're, the jury's still out on whether that's really been effective or not. We've only seen like three or four years of, of evidence. And in that time, we've actually seen a good deal more diversity. It's still not to the point that it needs to be, but better representation than what it used to be. And I feel like this popular award could really sort of undermine um, how we chart the progress of those efforts to diversify the voting body. Well, I mean, but at the same time, it, it would just be like another like best foreign film or best animated film they still have a chance to be nominated elsewhere they would just have a category that they could for sure win because those movies are never going to win best picture is is i think the the thing that they're actually realizing i mean unless this becomes like documentary where those movies are never going to get nominated for best picture now well and i think the 
they're constantly trying to find ways to to uh, better market themselves. I mean, that was the whole point of going from five to ten nominees and now going to this thing where it's like eight or nine. It's trying to get in some of those. Uh, I mean, it, we all called it. It was the Dark Knight rule, right? I mean, everyone thought Dark Knight should have been nominated, and it would have been nominated if there were ten nominees. And so they started adding more nominees to get more films in. It, it just didn't work. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I agree with Todd. I think it's interesting that, that they moved the ceremony up to the... to. It's like going to be February 9th or something. It's going to be very early February. Um, I mean, that's like the Sunday after the Super Bowl. It, it And it what it's done is it's really shortened what awards season is. It's made it much more compact. And what was kind of nice about it being in early March was then... a. a award season would end and then you would finally start to get you'd have like festival season and some decent movies would start coming out in april now you're gonna have this lull in the movie market uh it's kind of weird yeah it really pisses me off because i'm gonna miss the pro bowl number one i mean pro bowl is now the week before the the super bowl oh that's right yes uh, i knew that 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 was i was just testing you and uh it will also (laughs) mean that we'll have to move up our vegas trip to the beginning of february but maybe we can go like the beginning of february and the end of february now Ooh, i like it or we could just move there ah that's you know what that's an even better idea why couldn't the oscar (laughs) voters think of this idea have the ceremony in vegas Oscars, are you listening? Your your next task is to move Todd and Zach to Vegas. That that is the job of the Academy. <laughs> or just the Oscars, just like in the league when uh, they had their draft in Vegas that one year with Ocho Cinco. Yes, there you go. Was that the year where they couldn't figure out the difference between Jordan Cameron and Cameron Jordan? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> And the creation and of Taco Court. Draft- yes, someone accidentally drafted the defensive end as their tight end. <laughs> Anyways, we've spiraled out of control already. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there will be uh, definitely some more Oscar talk coming up in uh, in the next few months. Uh, I know, Todd, o- over the next month or two, you're going to be uh, putting out your latest Oscar prediction, I'm sure, right? Yeah, working on it. Working on it now, along with your uh, college football preview. Yeah, that's got to be coming a little sooner. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> so we got some uh, <clears throat> some good content coming uh, coming to the website soon. All right, uh, moving off of that, we're gonna hop into movie reviews now. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And we're going to be reviewing a new movie. Well, somewhat new. It's been out for a few weeks, but it's one of the the bigger box office movies of the month so far. And it is a franchise that actually predates Almost Sideways. Um, It is Mission Impossible, the new Mission Impossible movie Fallout. Uh, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. And Todd, why don't you get us started? Tell us a little bit about uh, Fallout and what it's about and what you thought. Alright, Mission Impossible Fallout is the sixth movie in the franchise, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. He also directed the last one, Rogue Nation. 
And I think you can sum up my review by quoting Phyllis's review of Spray and Wash, and that is, I just remember him running. Uh, (laughs) uh, Nicely done. So it's about the Syndicate, which is the organization run by Solomon Lane, played by Sean Harris, which is a now a terrorist organization known as the Apostles, and IMF is uh, instructed to travel to Berlin to steal three plutonium vessels which are going to be sold to the Apostles to create nuclear weapons for world domination or something. But that is basically the entire story. It's a lot less complicated than the other movies, which kind of makes it a little less uh, intelligent, I think. Uh, Tom Cruise returns as Ethan Hunt, and even though he's getting up there in age, he's still a total badass, and he does his own stunts, and he can definitely run like hell. Uh, <laughs> Henry Cavill uh, plays an operative who is sent by the CIA to follow Hunt, and uh, but it's kind of painfully obvious why he's actually there. And the rest of the crew, including Benji and Luther, are back. Uh, and uh, they're just basically comic relief at this point. What I think is becoming an issue with this franchise is when you watch a few of them, you could definitely spot the twists. Like, if you, uh, whenever something seems too easy or too devastating, then someone is definitely wearing a mask. Or if you have a famous actor in a throwaway role, it's like he actually has a lot bigger role than that. Um, and there's some cool action set pieces, I think, but they're really familiar. Like, the vertical fight thing was, like, stolen from The Dark Knight Rises, and the Parisian car chase scene was pretty cool. And the skydiving, I'm not even sure why they were skydiving. They were, like, trying to infiltrate this, this uh, like, exhibit. And they're like, let's jump out of a plane and skydive to this thing. I'm, I'm like, this looks cool, but why? why? Why are we actually skydiving onto this building? They're the IMF. They have to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, I don't know, so Christopher McQuarrie is a director. And he has a couple good movies that he's made, but he's more of a screenwriter than a director. Uh, I think he's the worst director that works on the franchise, but he's the only one that's gotten two movies, but he's actually the one keeping the franchise going, it seems like. There's some cool montage, or uh, uh, homage kind of things, uh, which, like, seeing Ethan Hunt rock climbing again was pretty cool, I guess. I think what they need to do is make an R-rated one of these movies, because they're trying to make it a lot like Bourne, but it doesn't have Greengrass as the director. So, like, you see people getting, like, diced with, like, broken bottles and knives, and there's no blood. It it makes it seem really cartoonish, sort of like, I mean, which Ghost Protocol was like that too, but it was a better movie, I think. It kind of takes away from the intensity overall. Um, I just think the movie is kind of predictable. The coolest part was seeing Ethan Hunt, like, chasing uh, his target across the rooftops of London. And, uh, and it, it was like, the intensity was really palpable at that point, but other than that, the, the screenplay is sort of fake complicated, it's like a Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, which is not a good thing. Uh, I just think it's getting a little ridiculous, and, uh, I don't know, I ended up giving it two stars. I find, I find your, uh, your review interesting, because I think it's definitely not, uh, not a majority review. I think a lot of people have really uh, loved this film and really enjoyed it. I'm one of them. Uh, I gave it three and a half stars. I I love this franchise. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I find it interesting that, like you said, Macquarie is the first one to get a second film, and this is the first in the franchise that really is kind of a direct sequel. It, um, It definitely plays off of what happened in Rogue Nation. It has the same villain. It has a lot of the same a lot of the same characters that pop up even uh, which it doesn't hasn't happened in any of the other ones it, it feels like a lot of the other people have been very expendable in in the series you said it it reminds you of Bourne to me it 
almost feels like it's trying to become an American James Bond in a lot of ways where, uh, where you have, you know, the, the super secret agent spy, uh, running around and doing all this ridiculous stuff, but all the stuff you said you didn't necessarily like, I thought it worked. Um, yes, the, the twist with Henry Cavill was obvious from the beginning. I think it was supposed to be, uh, I think you were supposed to have that, um, have that irony where, you know, in the back of your head, what's going on, but nobody else does. I loved how it paid homage to so many of the other films. Like you said, you had uh, you had Tom Cruise rock climbing like he did in the second one. I thought it was great how one of the one of the main bad guys was uh, was the daughter of Max, who played by Vanessa Redgrave in the first one. I thought that was one of the coolest moments of like the entire franchise. I thought it was super cool. Um, I I love the action moments. I thought um, it was a fairly simple plot. However, uh, I, I think what makes this one so great is what makes some of the other ones so great too is how they always have how they have to clean up for their mistakes. And they make a mistake at the beginning of this movie and they spend the rest of the movie uh, making up for it and having to become really the enemy in order to do it. And I love how, how they are able to do that. It is predictable at times, but the action's amazing. Like you said, running across the rooftops was awesome. Uh, the the helicopter chase down is um, is great. Uh, I don't know. I I love these movies and I really love this one. It's one of my favorites of the franchise. Like I said, three and a half stars. So this is one of our. This is a disagreement that we have going on here. We're going to talk about some more disagreements a little later on in the podcast. But Zach, break the tie. Is this a good movie or an okay movie? Well, uh, as so often happens on this podcast, when there's a major disagreement between two of us, the third one usually uh, finds some middle ground, and uh, I feel like that's no different here. Um, I agree with a number of points that both of you made. On the one hand, uh, I agree with you, Todd, that I found the story very formulaic and predictable. I saw the twists coming, even the very first one at the, be- at the beginning of the movie, without spoiling too much, uh, involving a, a telecast that just seemed so improbable that that it had to be a forgery. You know, yeah. the I, I'm really tired of these movies where uh, there's so much double crossing that uh, it becomes predictable. You know, so so such and such is working on behalf of such and such. Oh, but wait, he's really a double agent. Um, this is a really it's becoming a tired tactic in these screenplays, and I guess it's really nothing new. I mean, the comparison to the Pierce Brosnan Bond films are that's that's a pretty apt comparison. Um, on the other hand, though, I agree with what Terry's saying about some of the chase sequences, which do look really spectacular um, and are enjoyable. In the end, though, I lean more toward Todd. Um, and the biggest thing for me, which wasn't mentioned surprisingly by either of you, was the running length of this film. Why is this movie two hours and 40 minutes? I think there is a really nice, tight, economical 95-minute action movie in, in this film that has a ridiculous plot, but some fantastic set pieces and chases. And Terry, I agree. I mean, when he runs, you know, he, he, he looks great. Uh, I'll also say, too, I have not seen a Mission Impossible 
Impossible films since Mission Impossible 3. So that predates a lot of stuff. I haven't seen Ghost Protocol. I don't know some of the goodies. But I think as an observer, I, I don't mind that because uh, I think there's probably a sizable number of people who are walking into this film without a lot of context for Mission Impossible. And so it's easy enough to follow. But I think this movie is like, like Rob Gronkowski. I think it is a big, bulky movie that's graceful and athletic, but it needs to shut up stop using your mouth use your body i don't need this plot i don't need this these excessive scenes of stupid dialogue okay let's get more scenes with ethan hunt trying to leap from a helicopter to another helicopter fine do that in 95 minutes and then let's uh you know end the movie okay also i don't really understand why this needs to be um part of a franchise anymore i think this is this is a movie that could have been a standalone film and it maybe would have been better for it because of the again tired formula that that's repetitive so um in the end uh i i did like the sequences i think we need more car chases in films the one here in this movie in paris is really good but i give it uh a uh somewhat uh disengaged two and a half stars i will say i think something we can all agree on tom cruise was born to play ethan hunt probably like, this is like this is like the role that will i think I think more than almost any other role, this is the role that's going to end up defining his career in 50 years. Really? Well, wow. He, well, he's played it six times, but... I he has know. played it six times. I don't know. I mean, Maverick is pretty high up there, I would think, right? I, I, I would say that would that would be a close second, would be Maverick. But I, or Frank yeah. T.J. Mackey, come on. Yeah? I'm, I'm being facetious when yeah. I say that. But, but I think there are a lot of actors that could have played I almost thought role, you though. said Lieutenant Caffey. That's what I, where I thought oh, you were going. Oh, well, that too. But no, I, I think I think this this allows Tom Cruise to do everything he loves to do in his movies. Um, the one of the things that I that I loved about this after looking into it a little bit. Um, so this movie was supposed to come out last year, and it was almost completely done. They had like a month left of shooting, and then on one of the stunts, Tom Cruise did uh, did as he was running across the rooftops, he shattered his ankle, and they had to pause filming for months so that he could heal. And the great part is that shot of him uh, breaking his ankle is in the movie. It, it he's uh, he's like jumping between rooftops and comes up short, and uh, and yeah, he breaks his ankle and then still was able to pull himself up onto the rooftop and li li uh, limp away so that the shot could still be used. Uh, he uh, that that guy's insane, but um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I'm curious to hear now, Zach. You've only seen the first three, and now this one. Where would you stack up Fallout in comparison to the other Mission Impossible movies? Well, look. I mean, I, I think I we should probably reveal something here. Okay, this is not really my kind of movie. You know, a Zach <laughs> movie is French and depressing and existential and Marxist, and this is not one of those movies. So I, I'm not the target audience for this movie. And frankly, I don't really remember the first movies all that well, seeing as it was, you know back in the Bush administration. But uh, I Which will one? say... That, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Actually. I don't know if I know the answer to that. But uh, 
you know, the, the, the stunt work is fine. I actually kind of find Tom Cruise robotic in this role. I don't really see, like, I, I think it's sort of interchangeable. I think you could put, you know, um, a lot of actors there and you could get, generate a similar performance. Um, the stunt footage, I don't know. This is a movie that's begging people to go on YouTube and look at the behind-the-scenes footage. And some of it looks cool. Others of it, you know, like when he's on the helicopter, when, he, when he's climbing aboard the, the other helicopter, it, the, the camera doesn't move at all, and it's a long shot. And to me, it kind of looks like a GoPro mounted on top of the, the helicopter blade. I mean, to me, it doesn't look like that's authentic. You know, the, the parachute sequence, so that's fine, you know, but it's clearly green screen. I mean, you, you know, okay, take it for what it's worth. But I think trained audiences, people that recognize the you know the filmmaking that goes into this can kind of see through some of the special effects work and again it just at two hours and 40 minutes we've had enough of it so i don't know if that answers your question but uh it doesn't I, at all but uh <laughs> but thank you <laughs> i guess the answer is you don't remember the other movies at all yes exactly i don't remember okay yes. okay uh todd how would you rank this one up with the other ones uh, well, I think the best one is, and probably always will be, Mission Impossible 3, uh, it has the best villain, the best story, I think, and then Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation are next, and then I'd put this one fourth, followed by the ridiculous Mission Impossible 2, and then the original Mission Impossible to stay awake during. Yeah, I would agree that the first Mission Impossible isn't that great, except for Emmanuel Bayar. She's the best part of it. I think oh. that's part of why I stayed away from the more recent sequels. I, I could not disagree with you guys more. Mission the original Mission Impossible is still my favorite. Like it is the top one. I I went back and watched the other five to get ready f to watch the sixth one, and still the first one is is better. It, um, I think a director like Brian De Palma brought some really interesting things to it. And what I love about the first one is it is to me the first one feels like a thriller with some action where all the other ones feel like an action movie with some thrills. Mission Impossible and the, and 3 I, still is different. It, it is very different. So here here's how I've got it ranked. I've got it I've got it Mission Impossible the first Mission Impossible number 1 and then I've got Fallout, then Mission Impossible 3, then Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol and I yeah, Mission Impossible 2 is uh, really, Mission Impossible 2 is the only one I've given a thumbs down to. So it sounds like we're in a disagreement about this movie. It, will this be one of the all-time, almost sideways disagreements? I think I'm more mad that Todd thinks that the that Mission Impossible 1 is the worst one than, uh, than I am that he gave uh, Fallout two stars. It's just boring. Just because it has the least amount of action in it doesn't mean it's boring, Todd. No, I mean, well, I mean, I, it's, I'm just saying it's hard to stay awake during. Just like Castaway, it's hard to stay awake during. doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad oh. movie. It's oh, just wow. hard to stay awake oh, during. Man. Oh, man. I mean, they kill off, like, everybody in the movie in the first half hour. I mean, that that's a bold move to take in the first film in a franchise. Well, it's not exactly the beginning of the franchise. It was a TV series. True, true. Nothing starts until Tom Cruise stars in it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move on. So I give it uh, a resounding three and a half stars. Zach gives it two and a half stars. Todd gives it two. Um, I think the majority of critics are a lot closer to, to my opinion 
than uh, than the other two. But also, I am a huge fan of this uh, of this franchise, and it sounds like a much bigger fan than the other two. So, but we can all agree with Phyllis. <laughs> there was a lot of running. Well, moving on from our movie review, we're going to start to uh, to talk about some of our anniversary topics now, and we're going to move into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And for this podcast, our spotlight segment, it's going to kind of be a Mount Rushmore in some ways, uh, where we're all going to be looking at some different things. And what we're going to talk about, I think this, honestly, this might be the most indulgent thing we've done on this podcast, but we're going to do <laughs> oh, it anyways. <laughs> the bold claim. <laughs> we're going to do it anyways. We are going to do a Mount Rushmore of the greatest movie debates between the three of us over the last 10 years. Uh, well, I guess it doesn't have to be the last 10 years, but really the last 10 years is when we've really been debating movies. So uh, the Mount Rushmore of the greatest movie debates, um, we're each going to come up with one of our, one of our favorites over the last, uh, over the last little while. And then we're going to end with what is by far the consensus uh, greatest movie debate that's been referenced several times on this podcast and today you're finally going to hear why and so um, Todd why don't we go to you first uh, give us one uh, one of your favorite movie debates that we've had over the last uh, last 10 years okay well movie is debatable but since it was uh, mentioned as a movie at one point by one member wait of wait this we're, podcast, we're debating we're debating whether or not it's a movie <laughs> Well, it, the, the, part of it was <laughs> said to be a movie. It was on his top ten of the year at one point. And so the, the, the disagreement I have is Breaking Bad. Because Zach and I know for a fact it's the greatest TV show ever. And yet one of the people on this podcast, the other one, th- <laughs> cannot even Process find it interesting enough to finish season three. And... I haven't even started season three. Hasn't even started season three. It's not good enough for him. And uh, it is devastating to think that someone could be that wrong about something. And uh, this is a show that not only has, like, the, it is the greatest show ever, but it has a spinoff that is a top ten show ever as well. And this is one thing that I will never understand, how you cannot... You, you could put yourself through watching The Office 20 times, but you cannot watch Breaking Bad once. Terry. Oh. Okay. I I I don't I don't say it's bad. It's I just not worth watching all the way through. It's all right. It is such an intense show, though, that I I don't know how people binge watch shows like that. Like like I this um, Game of Thrones is another one that everyone tells me. Oh, you have to watch Game of Thrones. You have to watch Game of Thrones. I, it's taken me like a year and a half to make it through season one of Game of Thrones because it's so intense and there's so much going on that I have to like stop and process after every episode. I don't know how people binge watch these shows. You binge watch Dexter. That's a that's a bad excuse, Terry. I I, I too did, intense. I did yeah yeah. And that's what I'm going with. That's the best I got. I know I every every now I'm like yeah oh, you got man. nothing. I really need to go back and watch the rest of Breaking Bad, and then I don't. But Because um, apparently something else has got more of your time than Breaking Bad, the greatest TV show ever. And for the record, 
I still haven't made it through The Office. So, and you haven't even started it. I so. watched season one. You watched season one, which is so weird and unlike the rest of the show that you should, you need to give the rest a chance. Anyways, okay, that was a good one. That was a good one. Thank you. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Todd hasn't seen The Office. That's interesting. I will say that The Office after season six is pretty terrible. Um, Breaking Bad in seasons four and five is like apex. It gets better as it goes along. So. I hope that that's maybe motivation and incentive for you to keep watching it, Terry. But you know, seeing as that hasn't worked for five or six years, I don't know if <laughs> that will if that's realistic. Well, see, now that's another part of it too. Is it's over? The urgency to finish it or to keep watching it is gone. But Better Call it's Saul's like, going on. Well, why Better Call Saul? Yeah, it, it's all the. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's inexcusable. Yet I'm still trying to come up with an excuse. Um, okay. Zach, why don't you go next? Well, Todd just had the throwdown earlier of uh, hating on Castaway. What was that about, man? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that was uncalled for. It's, it's like this inside joke that we, we both think it's a good movie, but we uh, it is like the easiest movie to fall asleep during. Really? I you mean, how do you fall asleep during that plane crash or, you know, Wilson's death scene? I, mean, I don't know. That's, but that's like bookending have... the entire movie, though. Everything in between. The two of us have fallen asleep in the same room to cast away multiple times. That's all I have to say. I love the movie. We fall asleep during it. Well, I fell asleep watching Mulholland Drive at your house about ten years ago. We could celebrate that. And before sunrise. And before yes, sunrise. Yes, that too. Ooh, good call. Man, we're, these are good uh, entries. Okay, well, there's there's a there's a lot that we can choose from. It really shouldn't be like Mount Rushmore. It should be like, you know, the Himalayas or something with like many, many different peaks because there have been so many disagreements. It's hard to isolate one. Um, especially after after our excellent uh, discussion on Margaret, uh, the last podcast. Oh. But um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's really hard to narrow it down. Uh, t- Todd and I were texting about the sixth sense. I can't believe that he hates the sixth sense. That's that's insane to me. But I I think if there's any movie that really sums up a huge disagreement that we've had, at least more recently, um, it would have to be Animalisa. And and I think the major reason behind it is that I was so excited to go into it. You know, it it got great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and Todd said it was a Zach film, and uh, he had it high on his. Uh, list in 2016 or whenever it was and uh, I hated it. I, I thought it was very unpleasant, unfunny, boring. Um, even the animation really wasn't that exciting because most of the movie took place in a hotel room in Cincinnati. I mean, you know, that's uh, that's the first thing you think of when you think visual, visually spectacular. Um, I will say the best thing about the movie is that uh, Tom Noonan sings a song at the end of the movie that plays over the end credits that I actually have on my phone because it's kind of a cool song um other than that i actually find it personally insulting that todd called it a zach movie because it kind of goes against everything i stand for when i watch a movie so uh, that has to be one of the biggest disagreements ever um so zach i was uh i was really surprised that um that your pick wasn't funny games yeah, I thought about that, but you know, I respect Todd's criticism of the of the film, um, and I'm also someone who really usually objects to remakes, especially if they're shot by shot remakes. Um, so in that sense, I I respect his disagreement with it, and I will also say that I saw that movie on my 21st birthday and, and was hammered watching it, and have not seen it since. So um, I remember in that, sense, that uh, day. 
Yeah, although that movie sobered me up really quickly, I will say. Anyways, uh, so my my choice for uh, for my favorite debate is actually a two part, and it is uh, two films that I liked and Todd didn't. But what makes it so great are the reviews that we wrote about them, um, mm. because Todd knows where I'm going with this. So right after the uh, our website launched in 2008, one of the first films that we really started writing reviews about was Quantum of Solace, the new uh, James Bond film. And Todd watched it first and did not like it and wrote a pretty scathing review of it. And I watched it, and I didn't love it, but I gave it, I gave it three stars. I gave it a thumbs up, and I wrote a pretty scathing review of Todd's scathing review. And... <laughs> And then I returned the favor eventually. And then Todd returned the favor on a movie that I'm still not quite sure why I liked, but I did. And it was the 2009 Jeremy Piven comedy, The Goods, Buy Hard, Sell Hard. For some reason, I found it really entertaining, and Todd hated it. And so I wrote a a fairly decent review, and then Todd wrote a pretty scathing review of my review. Um, This was before... Almost Sideways even had a blog. These are just posted on almostsideways.com. You can't comment on them or anything, but you can still find them and read them and uh, see how terrible of writers we were 10 years ago. But how much fun we had making fun of each other. So the, that was my uh, my favorite uh, two-part movie debate that we've had with the website. And it's really funny you mentioned that, Terry, because Todd and I had a similar thing going in the nascent stage of the website with uh, The Hangover. Todd wrote a scathing review of The Hangover, which makes no sense because on paper it should be the perfect Todd movie. Um, (laughs) And the rest of the world knows that it's a funny movie, and so I wrote a review of his review. Which you yeah. can find on the website. Yeah, didn't like you she... even quoted it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It was like a total like uh, message board uh, reaction, or something. Yeah, I was basically just trolling you the whole time. You know, <laughs> it was like you were Todd's fact checker. Yes, exactly. Telling him why every sentence of his review was wrong. All right, that was on my long list of uh, of disagreements. Actually, the Hangover. So Todd, did you say you have a you have a few more that you would uh, like to bring up that are some dishonorable mentions here? Yeah, uh, well, the Hangover and Three Hundred were basically the same idea. Like, I didn't like either of those, and everybody else did. Uh, Margaret and Holy Motors, those definitely stand out. Uh, Deadpool <laughs> is definitely in the most polar opposite opinions from uh, absolutely. Uh, Three billboards outside Evan, Missouri, is definitely one. Pretty much the whole career of M. Night Shyamalan, I'd say. <laughs> and uh, then uh, the performances in Mystic River, I think, are is a definitely a, a very big disagreement. Ooh, <laughs> I love Lady in the Water. I'll just come out and say it. I think I might be one of the few. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, as we were going through this, we could really only talk about one film as our consensus number one debate. And that is the David, da- yeah, David Cronenberg film, A History of Violence. And this has been a film that for a long time, Todd has been a huge lover of, and Zach and I have hated, and have really honestly hated him for loving. And so uh, we're going to hash out this debate and go on a little bit of a History of Violence deep dive here. So if you haven't seen the movie... 
there are gonna be probably there are gonna be plenty of spoilers in here. This movie's what thirteen years old now, two thousand five. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Statute of limitations has run out here. If you don't know the movie, yeah, then, you know, absolutely, st- stop listening. Yeah. So so um, and honestly, this there's not really anything to spoil in a lot of ways. Anyways, really? Well, there, there there's some there's big, there's some there's some stuff big to spoil, twist in this but, movie. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, Todd, why don't you why don't you start by telling us why you love the movie? Uh, I mean, I didn't think like when I first watched it, I didn't think I was going to be out on a limb saying I loved it. But I mean, I always found the movie really intense and really uh, thrilling, and it was different. And honestly, it's a really short movie, which is crazy because I feel like it could have been easily 40 minutes longer and we'd have no problem with it and uh, I, I would know. definitely have a problem with it I, I still don't I, I'm still gonna, gonna have to try to figure out why you guys didn't like it if you still don't because we all did rewatch the movie in the last That's, couple weeks yes exactly, we did Terry you buried the lead is that we rewatched this movie and we want to see if our original opinions are still intact and, and Todd would you say your original opinion is still intact yeah, I, I still have it as a three and a half star movie. It's my number sixteen of two thousand and five, uh, and there's still a lot of things I really like about it. And I mean, I, I'm not alone in it because I mean, critics loved it. it. The National Society of Film Critics, which is like basically the consensus of all critics, like had gave supporting actor and best director to it. And uh, it's I, I don't know. I. I, st- I still appreciate everything, and everything that I remember you guys not liking about it, I still don't really have a problem with. Like, I know that you guys didn't really like the Sun character, but I-, I think that was actually kind of a difficult role to pull off, and I think he did a pretty good job, even though it probably should have been played by Jesse Eisenberg or Emil Hirsch. <laughs> yes. I, so so I, was watching, I was watching the film last night, and the first thing my wife says as we're watching it and the sun comes on is, that guy should be played by the Social Network kid. Yeah. That, that's what she said. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg. But he is a baseball or, or player, Andrew though. Garfield. That's what I think is would be a little weird for Jesse Eisenberg. He's not a baseball player. That was gym class. And uh, they put him in right field because he sucks. Speaking of that, like I, I think it's interesting that they put those those scenes in there, because, like the high school scenes, because a lot of movies leave out those scenes when they could actually build character development, like The Godfather and Mystic River in particular. Like those completely leave out the scenes of high school, and which actually make a lot more uh, sense when they're inserted into the story. When would they show high school scenes in The Godfather, Todd? I read the book, and. Uh, <laughs> Like they, like they have Michael scenes, in high school. So, so, yeah, Sonny and Michael in high school. It it it, it actually gives they, you a lot they play, better idea. Uh, intramural baseball on the gym team no, in the thirties. They don't play baseball. Beat each other up. No. <laughs> Sonny Sonny is still a. He's got a picture badass, of Joe DiMaggio so. in his locker. Not quite. Okay. Now 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 that you said how great that scene is, can I just say how stupid that baseball scene is? I mean, he's he's like the worst kid on on the field. He's playing right field, and like this this kid comes up because apparently he he's he's and he's always in his Letterman jacket. He's apparently a letter in PE gym class baseball, and uh, he's like, "All right, here comes a home run! Yeah, I just hit a home run. It was a can of corn fly ball right at the right fielder. I'm the coolest ever. Oh, he caught it. I'm gonna kill that kid. I mean, the, it's the stupidest." character it's the stupidest thing 
It was ever. And he, I, it's and a he, Canadian it, it, uh, director making a baseball scene. Well, that explains it. Those uh. Canadians, they hold grudges after intramurals <laughs> class. Okay, I, I need to talk because I, I definitely still hold my opinion. I, I gave it, originally gave it a one and a half star review. It is my seventh worst film of 2005. Just barely better than Fantastic Four and The Interpreter. Um, yeah. So, I watched this and... Oh, it was... It was painful. I thought that... I think the dialogue is painful. I think, uh... So many of the characters are un, are not believable. The son is a cartoon. He doesn't... He, I, I, I see what you're saying in saying that it's a tough... It was a tough character to pull off. I think the reason it was a tough character to pull off is because it was a horribly written character. Um, he's a high school kid. He looks <laughs> older, but he's playing a high school kid. He's supposed to be a little wimp. He he's ridiculous, though. No, it. Uh. And don't you think like a kid, a kid like that would actually say to his dad, like, like if he was that word, he'd be like, "If I rob Milligan's drugs drugstore, would you ground me if I don't give you a piece of the action?" Like that's a total like little like immature kid thing to say. Just because he looks like he's in his twenties doesn't mean he should be like more mature than that. Yeah, but he he does he does that and acts like this this little wimp. But the way he's able to be this smart aleck and stand up to the bully at the same time, it doesn't. It's too inconsistent. And and this goes he also to the, gunned to the down crux a gangster. Of, like he has a complete one eighty, Terry. <laughs> th- th- this goes to the crux of my problem with the movie. And my my problem with the movie um, has always been the unbelievable and preposterous reaction everybody has to the main plot point in the film, which is this man, Tom Stahl, played by Viggo Mortensen, who's this upstanding citizen in his community, um, 20 years ago was a gangster in Philly. And this, this comes out because he, you know, he saves people in his diner and so some he's seen in public and the gangsters come back and the reaction of his family to the fact that you know 20 years ago before we knew you you were a different person and lived a different life is completely unbelievable the wife is goes completely off her rocker the kid is completely out of his mind about this. Terry, okay. Oh, and so, by the way, so the, by the way, there's a there's like a ten year old girl who is really just a part of the background in a set piece. She's because, more like five years old. Well, whatever. She has she does no nothing in the movie. It's ridiculous. She has ba- uh, she had a nightmare. Um. Okay, Terry. Th- this so the mo- wife this pretty movie, much goes. No, 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 no. This this movie. This is what I've decided. This movie is is like Les Misérables. If when you got to the end of the movie and Jean Valjean says, I was a thief, I, I lived in prison for all this time, Cosette and Marius, instead of saying, no, you're this incredible person that we've grown to love, instead they say, well, screw you, we're out of here and we're leaving you to die alone. That's what this movie is. It makes absolutely no sense, and I hate it. I um, hate that part of the movie, okay. and it ruins it. And any redeemable things about the movie are ruined because that is completely unbelievable. Well, okay, so Maria Bella's character is basically going through what Deb goes through in in, in uh, Dexter. And, like, she has 
this this feeling where she grew up knowing somebody and she realizes that person is actually a monster and they've been lying to her like the entire time that they've like she's known them right that's essentially what Maria Bell is going through. Like her kid is no. almost as old as No, her. it's not. No, because it's the same. You, no, 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 no. This is funny. It's not because if if that's what was happening, then he would have been a gangster at night while being the upstanding citizen during the day this entire time over the last 20 years. But no, he has been this normal average Joe for 20 years and all of a sudden and and cuz obviously cuz the kid's at least 16, so he they've known each other for at least 17, 18 years. Which which means you probably think he gave up this life 20 years ago. So if that's what happened, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't even know if I know you. Well, you knew him for 20 years. What is your problem? It doesn't change the past, though. I don't know. <sighs> all right. Can I interject? Please. Let's, let's, let's solve this. So uh, when I first saw the movie, I was very similar to what Terry uh, Terry's mindset was. I thought it was uh, hyperbolic, over the top, um, re- really silly. And, and yes, the dialogue was painful to listen to. Um, I actually initially put it on the top five worst movies I had ever seen, or maybe bottom five. Uh, I gave it no stars in 2005, and I think it's the, I think it's actually the second worst film of the 2000s I have after um, uh, uh, The Mist. After seeing it again, <laughs> though, I always told Todd that I would be willing to watch it again, and I'm glad I did. I'm nowhere close to giving the movie a thumbs up, but at the same time, it is not nearly as bad as I remember it being. Uh, it's actually really, watching it again, I, it, I don't think it was as over the top as I remember. Terry, the, the scenes that you're talking about are still there. You know, the, the high school scenes are ridiculous. The reporter on the lawn is ridiculous, but it's less bothersome this time. I, I, feel, I felt like those scenes were kind of one-offs. They, they weren't really a major integral part of the movie. Actually, what, what my surprising reaction was is I found it kind of dull. I, I felt uh, by really the midway point in the movie, this, the, the story wasn't moving along very quickly. I felt it was kind of listless and going nowhere. Um, I'll say two nice things about it. I like the opening shot. Uh, which I had completely forgotten. I think it's a really nice single long take that looks really cool. It's like almost like Touch of Evil in a way. And I also give the movie props because when I was watching with my wife who had never seen it, she didn't really know whether to believe the story, whether Tom Tom Stahl really was Joey Cusack or whether he this was all a lie. And I think I got to give the movie props for that. I remember watching it and really not knowing either uh, who to believe. And I like movies like that, that really they make you sort of ask yourself yourself, you know, is what I'm seeing really the truth. Um, it's not a good movie. It's not Cronen- It's one of Cronenberg's worst movies, but it's certainly not as bad as I remember it being. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think you're actually supposed to question that. The more I've watched it, the more it is like obvious that he is Joey and, and the history of violence is not just like a random title. It's like an obvious title. So I think once you read it as not a, not a mystery, it actually, you can actually get more involved in the drama. I, I I think the title's kind of obvious. I think the symbolism is kind of obvious, and the purpose of the Sun character uh, is heavy-handed. Um, I wish that the movie had been a little more subtle, you know? Um, I think there are really uh, elements of it that aren't nuanced at all and way over the top. Um, they just weren't as distracting this time because the whole middle section of the movie I felt was really boring. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the infatuation with Ed Harris was by the critics. I don't really think that character is really all that good anyway. Like, William Hurt is definitely the highlight of the movie, but even though it's only like an eight-minute scene. 
Yeah, I, I was just gonna say some some of the things that I do find that were were good about it. William Hurt is still the best part of the movie, and I would say I actually think the second best character in it is Ed Harris. I thought he was he was very good, and honestly, those are two of the most believable characters. They seem to be two of the mo- the best written characters. Well, see, that, um, that's part of what I was thinking because I always thought Viggo Mortensen was a bad actor because of this movie, but I realized after watching it more that he is playing a bad actor, and so he and he actually yeah. is good at that. I I agree with you, Todd. I think he, the Viggo Mortensen role is complex and not easy to play. I don't think Ed Harris is that great in the movie. I think he's basically like Max Cady in Cape Fear. But I do love his YouTube clip when he talks about violence. And if that's the purpose of this movie, was to make that YouTube clip, then this movie is justified in its existence. I, I will say, my my favorite shot of the movie, Zach Years was the very first one, my favorite shot of the movie is... um when the robbers come into the diner and it's obvious they're there for um for bad purposes and everyone starts freaking out there's just this split second shot of vigo mortensen pouring a cup of coffee and his hand is completely steady and still as he does it which means he is completely calm cool and collected and there's some and like he's seen this before and been in a pinch like this before and it doesn't bother him at all. I thought that just split second scene of his hand pouring coffee was like, ooh, that that is my favorite spot in the movie. That's my that's the best shot of the movie right there. Speaking of the robbers, the one robber looked totally like a young Jason Clark. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. And also the the end of the movie, I put this together. It is the exact same ending as Con Air. Even the daughter even looks <laughs> like the daughter from Con Air. Yes, she does. You're right. The daughter's really annoying in this movie. I think she's one of the most annoying little kids I've ever seen in the movie. Does she have a line? Yeah. She, she talks about her nightmare at the beginning of the movie. Oh, as that's they all true. That's true. Slowly converge in her bedroom. Which is in a com- the worst written scene in the movie. <laughs> by oh, well, that's, far. That's, that's quite a statement there, Terry. There are quite a few that we could uh, uh, identify, but... Alas, this podcast I, I think, is only two hours long, so I know, we can't seriously. talk at all. I one one last one last point about this is I will say, having watched it again, I think the movie doesn't really age well. Like watching it, um, especially any scene with the sun in it, it was like this is obviously an early two thousands movie because everything in it just screams early two thousands, and um, yeah. And the uh, the sex slash rape scene on the uh, stairway certainly has not aged well. I don't yeah. know. Th- that yeah. that is another bit of uh, Deb in Maria Bella's character. I think like she the self hate and the darkness that turns her on like that totally is that. I think the one thing that we have established here is that we will forever agree to disagree about the quality of history of violence we should and review it every 10 years over the last 10 years every 10 years we should go back and review a history of violence i'd be up for that yeah on, on its 10 years on from its now. 23rd anniversary it's 23rd yeah. anniversary it's like it's like uh, the creature from it every 23 years no yeah. <laughs> uh, okay uh well that was a lot of fun that was a fun uh fun trip down memory lane and we're about to do a little bit more as we move into power rankings you can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. I'm kind of nervous now. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. 
So last time on our podcast, uh, we had a little bit of a different podcast because Zach was camping, which we established is like the main reason for uh, missing the podcast is going camping. And so it was me and Todd and Adam, and we were guessing Zach's list. I won, possibly because I've known Zach longer. Uh, but if I remember right, none of us did really well. Uh, so I got to pick this week's power ranking, and my choice is once again looking at it being the 10-year anniversary of Almost Sideways, and I picked a very interesting list that's a very, very subjective list in a lot of ways. Uh, this is your top five favorite actors of the last 10 years. So of the, I'm calling it the Almost Sideways era, who have been your favorite actors to watch? over the last 10 years and I, I will say this was a really tough list to put together as there were so many different ways that you could take it I tried to be a little objective in it and by the time I got done with being objective I hated my list so I started over <laughs> um, but uh, this it was really interesting and uh, but I had a lot of fun doing it and I thought it it, uh, it was kind of a neat uh, a neat way to kind of wrap up the last 10 years so Let's hop into this with our number five favorite actor of the last ten years, our favorite actor to watch, uh, Zach. We're going to you first. All right, well, this is a very open-ended category. I wasn't really sure what Terry meant by this list, so uh, the way I defined it was if I were to go back ten years and say, and say this person's name, 2008 Zach would not know who this person was. Ooh, so that's an interesting that, way of taking it. So, like, for example, Shearsha Ronan, I mean, I knew who she was back in 2008, Ryan Gosling, you know, um, so I had, and John Hawks, these are all people I thought of, but couldn't quite make the list because I knew who they were back 10 years ago. So, uh, number five should really come as no surprise, as he isn't known for a lot of roles, but his uh, main role is memorable, and that is the one and only Peter Simonashek in, uh, <laughs> you know... Yes. His his IMDb credit list isn't that robust or long, um, but uh, it's not about qual quantity, it's about quality, and he was amazing in Tony Erdman. Um, putting on that wig and putting on the suit, uh, just, I can't think of any other actor who could do it with the possible exception of the cavemen uh, on those old commercials on ABC. So, Peter Simonoshek, number five actor of this last decade. All right. All right, bad number five. Okay, yeah, and backtracking a tad, since we mentioned him, we also have to mention the fact that the writer of A History of Violence's only other movie that he's made was Batman Gotham Knight. So there is uh, the obligatory Batman animated, animated series Batman mention. And that does not lead to my number five, which is uh, I I went about this like with the, the actors who I see in a movie or see are going to be in a movie, and that makes me want to go see the movie the most. And so my number five is Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she's made a ton of movies that I've liked in the time. Uh, she's got her MCU movies, but that doesn't really matter. She's got really good voice work in her, Isle of Dogs, The Jungle Book, and she's also a voice in Sing. 2013, I think, is actually the uh, like three performances that all could have been nominated for Oscars, which were her, Under the Skin, and Don John. Uh, and she became a cool action star with Lucy and Ghost in the Shell, and she was in Hitchcock, Chef, uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and Terry's favorite movie ever, We Bought a Zoo. Uh, yeah! Uh, yeah, so Scarlett Johansson is my number five. I don't love the pick, but it's, uh, I, I had enough more, enough reasons to put her on there, 
more than any other, I guess. I like pre two thousand eight Scarlett Johansson more though. I, I like pre like nineteen pre nineteen ninety eight Scarlett Johansson even more. I think pre nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, like you know, Manny and Low and Horse Whisperer. You know, that was nineteen ninety eight. Okay, well, so you're talking like nineteen ninety eight and earlier. Homeland. Yeah, that that okay. too, unforgettable. All right, so the way I went about this list, I started by going through. Um, going through all the four-star films that I'd given in the past ten years and looking for actors that popped up in multiple four-star films. Because if they were my favorite actor to watch, then they were in my favorite films. And so I started there, and that got me a good list, but there were a couple that had uh, multiple memorable performances that I had to also sneak into this list also. So... Uh, number five on my list is one of those that had those multiple memorable performances and has really become one of those guys that when he's in a movie, I'm really excited to see it. And so my number five is Oscar Isaac. Uh, he's had uh, he's become a big name recently, but he had so he's had some great uh, films. I really apparently I'd seen him in some things before that I don't even remember him in things like Body of Lies and Robin Hood and things like that but and drive uh i really became aware of him after inside lewin davis and since then he's had some extremely memorable performances whether you're talking about a most violent year or ex machina and then you uh, start to move into some of his more mainstream stuff like the star wars films as poe dameron or playing apocalypse and x-men apocalypse uh, I haven't seen Annihilation yet. I know that's a big one that you guys are debating about, but I am really excited to see Operation Finale. I, that looks like a really cool film. But I really enjoy Oscar Isaac whenever he's on screen, and he's my number five. So if I did my list the way that you were originally planning to do yours, I did the math, and my number one would be Kyle Chandler. He had like he had five. Oh, interesting. He had five movies that I gave four stars to in the last ten years, which is ridiculous. That's fascinating. <laughs> I will say, who was number one? I think who was number one on my list. I still left as number one. So, stay tuned for who that's going to be. All right. Well, moving on to number four on my list. It's funny how our lists uh, intersect so much. Happens to be none other than also Oscar Isaac. Hey, so, uh, hey we ha- actually have an agreement on this show. It's sort of unusual. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Oscar Isaac in his IMDb biography did not do very much before 2008. Uh, the Life Before Her Eyes, The Nativity Story, and an episode of Law & Order Criminal Intent. So uh, he qualifies for my list. Uh, I second a lot of what Terry says. Um, he's great in pretty much everything he's in. Um, particularly Ex Machina, Most Violent Year, and most memorably for me is Inside Lewin Davis because uh, it's a really difficult role to play and he's an incredibly talented musician too. Um, and if you don't believe me, check out some of the YouTube clips of him actually performing the songs from Inside Lewin Davis in concert. Um, he's a great actor. He hasn't done as much work the last couple years, maybe as a result of his work in, in Star Wars. I'm not really sure why, but he's certainly one of the most exciting, fresh uh, faces to come about in these last 10 years. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh oh. <laughs> Todd, number four. Uh, my number four is Mark Ruffalo, which just complete coincidence that he's another MCU actor. Uh, He's, he's had a lot of movies that I love in the last 10 years, though. He's had three Oscar nominations, which are all deserved. Spotlight, Foxcatcher, and The Kids Are Alright. Uh, he was also in one of my 
favorite underrated movies that nobody else has seen, which is What Doesn't Kill You, which is as taut of a movie as there is. Uh, his best his best performance ever probably was his TV movie, The Normal Heart. Uh, and he's just been in a lot of good movies. Margaret, Begin Again, Shutter Island. Uh, and he has no problem making like movies no one's going to see, like Sympathy for Delicious and stuff like that. So, Mark Ruffalo, one of my favorite actors. He's uh, my number four. All right. So, um, I will say, Todd, uh, the way I did my list, um, I didn't go just by the four-star films. If I went just by the four-star films, the actors I gave the most four-stars to were uh, Jeremy Renner and Rooney Mara. Each had four four four-star films. But I also took into account the three-and-a-half-star films and took points away if I gave any of their films thumbs down. So... That kind of played a role in, in it also. Ah. Yeah. So, the next person is someone who uh, I gave... Uh, has been in two of my four-star films, two of my three-and-a-half-star films of the last uh, ten years, and I didn't give any thumbs down to him in the films that I've seen. And, it, and that is Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal is one that I will say before 2008... I did not really think much of him. Uh, before 2008, he was um, the stupid kid from the stupid movie everybody loved, Donnie Darko. He was the annoying one in Brokeback Mountain. Um, and then you get to post-2008 uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and you have films like Brothers, and Love and Other Drugs, and Source Code, and Nightcrawler, and Southpaw, and you have this really interesting actor that has developed that uh, I find fascinating every time I see him on screen. And uh, I, I look at the movies I haven't seen of his, and I wish I'd seen more of them. So maybe that's one of the things I'm going to go do now. Oh, Nocturnal Animals, also amazing. And uh, he's, he's been absolutely amazing in so many things over the last 10 years and by the way he's going to be in an mcu movie next year so there we go ties it all together who maybe it's who hasn't been in mcu movies maybe that should be the list but anyways jake peter simonashek peter simonashek uh but yeah jake gyllenhaal my number four I think you're underselling some of his pre-2008 movies. He didn't mention October Sky or Moonlight Mile or The Good Girl. He's good in all, all three of those movies. Good Girl is good. Um, the other two I haven't seen. Zodiac. Have, did, have you seen... Uh, yeah, of course. Have you seen uh, Enemy, Terry? No. He's really good in that, too. It's basically like uh, Nicolas Cage and Matchstick Men. Or, excuse me, Adaptation. Blah. Oh, okay. Um, he plays twins. Yeah, he's really good in it. Okay, uh, number three on my list is uh, Jessica Chastain who really came into uh, the spotlight in 2011 when she was in, like, every movie that came out that year, including The Health, The Tree of Life, Take Shelter, The Debt. Um, But really, in performance after performance, she's shown incredible range and versatility. Um, She can, you know, be in a uh, drama, a war film, romance, uh, thriller. She's uh, done all different kinds of genres. She can be the lead role. She can be a supporting role. Um, I know Todd was won over by her in uh, Zero Dark Thirty, 
Also, she was in A Most Violent Year, which we've already mentioned. Um, I also really commend her work off the screen. She's been a major advocate for better representation um, on camera and behind the camera, too. And she's a great advocate for the industry. And uh, pretty much any movie she's in, I will line up and go see. Uh, so Jessica Chastain, a, a career best performance, possibly last year in Molly's Game. Um, but she's my number three. I like All that right. choice. Uh, I do too. I do too. My number three was mentioned by Terry. That's Rooney Mara. Uh, she first caught my eye really in uh, this uh, funny basketball movie with Sam Rockwell called The Winning Season, which uh, I don't think anyone's seen except for my buddy Josh. Uh, uh, she she has a lot of uh, she, her range of Oscar nominations is probably the biggest of all time. Carol and the girl with the dragon tattoo. I don't think you can come up with two more opposite roles that anyone has ever played and got nominated for. Uh, if you can, I would be interested to hear that. Uh, she makes a lot of like no budget movies like a ghost story and ain't the body saints and Una, which was one of my favorite movies last year. And she just is always in movies that I like her Kubo and the two strings side effects. And of course, social network. Rooney Mara is always an actress. I'm going to go see her movies. That's my number three. Most underrated Rooney Mara role and Rooney Mara movie is Side Effects. Yeah. And yeah, that is a... I really did like that movie, too. Alright. So, number three on my list, I didn't have... is It's another one where I didn't have multiple four-star films from this actor. However, uh, this actor brought some of my favorite performances of the last ten years and is really a star that's on the rise that I'm looking forward to seeing whatever he comes out with, and that is Michael B. Jordan. Uh, he burst onto the scene with an amazing performance in Fruitvale Station that really uh, got him on a lot of people's radar. But then after that, he continued on with, uh, with Creed, having an amazing performance there. And then also the other one, he is, I think one of if not the best villain in any marvel film as a killmonger in black panther so uh michael b jordan is definitely a star on the rise and i can't wait to see what else he's gonna do uh one of the things we know he's gonna do is later uh this year coming out uh this uh this fall is going to be creed 2 uh fi fighting ivan drago's son which is going to be interesting but um but yeah creed, uh michael b jordan number three on my list Wallace. Yeah, he, he would have made my list, but I knew him from The Wire and Friday Night Lights, so he's had actually a longer career than most people probably realize. Mm -hmm. All right, number two on my list, though, is an actor that I was big on early, probably before he was really mainstream, or at least as mainstream as today. And uh, this was an actor that I saw in the first season of an HBO show called Girls, starring Lena Dunham, and he played Lena Dunham's sort of uh, uh, sex buddy, and that is Adam Driver. And Adam Driver is an awesome actor. Um, in Girls, he plays this kind of sadomasochistic character who doesn't wear a t-shirt and uh, like is into existential philosophy and like 
fixing things. Um, it's a really quirky role that I can't imagine anyone else playing. And so when I saw Girls, I wasn't a huge fan of the show, but I loved him. And I loved that character. And then uh, eventually movie producers realized that this guy had incredible talent. And we started seeing him in movies like J. Edgar and Lincoln. And then Inside Lewin Davis, which I guess this whole Power Rankings is becoming about in a list of Inside Lewin Davis actors. And then he had really his first uh, big breakout uh, role at, at a title role in Patterson and then of course most people know him as Kylo Ren but he's an awesome actor I'll see him in pretty much anything um, he's a great talent number two actor out of driver I like it that's a good one I do too uh, my number two is uh, slightly more A-lister than that it's Leonardo DiCaprio uh He's only made nine movies in the last ten years, but they're all are uh, quite impressive to add to his filmography. He's got Body of Lies, which isn't a good movie, but he's good, like the highlight of it. Revolutionary Road and J. Edgar, he could have gotten nominated for. Great Gatsby is like a perfect Leo-type role. The Revenant, then he's got his like all-time performances in Wolf of Wall Street and Django Unchained, and the performance he gave twice in the same year, Shutter Island and Inception. Uh... If he's in a movie, obviously I'm going to see it. Basically, everyone's going to see it. I can't imagine a list that was true that didn't have Leo on it. So, that's my number two. Yeah, Leo's on my honorable mention. It's funny, you said he made nine movies over the last ten years. Three of them I gave four stars to. Four of them I gave three and a half stars to. And two I gave thumbs down to. So, uh, all nine of his films were represented in the uh, categories that I had. Um, but yeah, but he, see, you saw every just, one of his movies, so obviously I saw, I saw every one of them. <laughs> yes, he's definitely one that that uh, you see when he comes out with a movie. Um, number two on my list, let's see here. Uh, this one I gave three, three, uh, three, four stars, uh, two, three and a half stars. Uh, I had three thumbs down, but they were some of the uh, earlier work in the beginning of the of these 10 years before um, the stardom really kicked in. And so number two on my list is Emma Stone. Uh, I think she has really gone from being, oh, the girl in, uh, in Superbad to really having this incredible career and being one of the top actresses working today. And you look at some of the things that were starting to lead up to it. You had some mainstream stuff like Zombieland and but then you get into Crazy Stupid Love The Help uh, she had her uh, her turn in superhero movies with the Spider-Man films um, but you also now you've got Birdman you've got um, you've got La La Land you've got her now taking on these amazing uh, these amazing roles she's won her Oscar uh, I find her career fascinating, and I've enjoyed watching where her career has gone over the last 10 years. So, Emma Stone is my number two. I feel like she plays the same role in every film, but I'm just a hater. Wow. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right, well, moving on to number one. Uh, actor of the last 10 years. Um, according to the structure that I did, uh, this was an actor that I was not aware of prior to 2008, even though she had done some TV work on the Bill Envall show, which I'm sure had a very loyal following. 
but really, it was almost a, a no-brainer for me who the, the most ubiquitous, most talented uh, actor of this last 10 years had been, and that is Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, really, her breakout role was Winter's Bone, in which she received an Academy Award nomination for. But, you know, right away, you could see that uh, this actress was incredibly talented, uh, very uh, versatile in the types of roles and the types of films that she did. You know, she could do big-budget mainstream films like the Hunger Games uh, series and X-Men, but also uh, do smaller films, more artsy films like uh, Silver Linings Playbook or American Hustle or uh, Mother last year. Um, part of the reason why I really like her, though, is she's the perfect uh, star for this era of YouTube and the internet, and she's uh, a viral sensation. She's great on talk shows. You know, she's almost as much of a draw to watch on Conan or Seth Meyers as, she, as her movies are. She's incredible to watch because she seems really authentic, and uh, she's a great personality. She's a great asset to the industry. She's also a big advocate uh, of inclusivity, and uh, I'll see any movie that she's in, so um, Jennifer Lawrence really is a no-brainer for me as the star of the last 10 years. Even the year before Winter's Bone, she was in uh, The Burning Plane, which is a movie I really liked, and she was that was the first time I was like, like, who is that? And that's the only reason why I went to go see Winter's Bone when it came to the Seattle International Film Festival the year after. I like that. All right, Good pick. That's trivia. That would be on your trivia page, Todd. There we go. All right. That is a great choice, by the way. Todd, number one. So, uh, when I first heard the list, this name came to mind, and then I thought, like, no, that can't be my actual number one. And then the more things I put on it, the more, like, uh, criteria, uh, he just kept piling on. He was in the top five of everything. And so my number one is Jonah Hill. I <laughs> I honestly don't know if there's one face that, if I see is in a movie, that I actually want to go see it more than if Jonah Hill's in, in it. It's Like, he started out in 2008 playing the cooker in Strange Wilderness and Matthew the Waiter in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and now he is arguably the most distinguished, exciting actor of his entire generation, which is a huge rise to fame in ten years. Uh, I nominated him three times, Cyrus, Moneyball, and The Wolf of Wall Street. He just disappears in all of those roles. He has a lot of good voice work. He has his Apatow crew movies, he's got his Jump Street movies, which on paper should never have worked, but they all both are as funny as any movie in the last ten years. And he's also, like, totally awesome in War Dogs and True Story and Get Him to the Greek. Three movies that I would not have seen if he was not in it. And, uh, I mean, and then he just works with great directors. He was in Django Unchained and Hail Caesar. He's he's my favorite actor the last ten years for sure. And I don't really have a lot of shame in that anymore. <laughs> and he's going to be a nominee at your Oscars this year for mid-90s. Yes, for Best Director probably. Which is probably the coolest trailer I've seen all year. That was that's, I can't wait to see that. All right, that is that is a great choice. So as I was starting to put together my list and I started to make my, uh, make my list of four star actors and things like this, honestly I thought Emma Stone was going to be number one. And then as I started to put it together, a name that I really didn't consider as great as it should have been, kind of emerged. And although I only gave two of his films four stars, I gave six of his films three and a half stars, and I have yet to see, and there are some holes, there are some movies I haven't seen, but I did not give any of his films a thumbs down over the last ten years, and that actor's George Clooney. So George Clooney is my number one. You go back to, um, 
to 2008. Uh, I'm a and he he'd already started to to really rise up. He won his Oscar in 2005. He had um, and was nominated like three different times in 2005. Then he had. Uh, Michael Clayton in 2007 but in 2008 you had Leatherheads which I loved and maybe the only one that loves it as much as I do Uh, and Burn After Reading 2009 Up in the Air The Men Who Stare at Goats another one that I love more than anybody else Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox he's amazing in doing some voice work Um, The Descendants Gravity uh, you just keep going and it's started to fall off a little bit in recent years as he's not acting quite as much but even something like hail caesar which wasn't a great movie but it was i gave it a low three star but he's still entertaining in it he's always entertaining in whatever he's in uh and the more i thought about it the more i realized that had to be my number one so number one on my list george clooney that's a terrible choice, Terry. I realize that you guys are going to hate it, but as I was looking, I was like, "That, wow, I've really loved his last 10 years, like, more than anybody else. What was the last relevant movie he made? That's a good question. Gravity. <laughs> yeah. Gravity. It, yeah, and that was mostly his voice. He, he had He had an amazing, let's say he had an amazing, like, first five of these last 10 years but that first five of these last 10 years was better than anybody else's whole 10 years so i'm i went with it he also made you forgot to mention movies like tomorrowland and money monster yeah and i haven't his seen direct, those ones and well okay there's probably <laughs> reason you haven't seen them that's true and that's his true. direction of suburbicon and uh yeah there, there's uh there's some you know omissions from your list that uh maybe you're not considering true and and like i said he hasn't been as dependable the last five years but that five-year stretch from 08 to 13 was one of the one of the best five-year stretches you could have as an actor but this is a 10-year category terry we're not talking about 2008 to 2013 like i said those five years were better than anybody else's 10 so i went with it deal with it okay zach do you have any honorable mentions Oh, yes, I do have some honorable mentions. Um, actually, I don't have any honorable mentions. Oh, no, I do. Here it is. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> David Oyelowo, excuse me. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, Octavia Spencer, Rooney Mara, and Anya Taylor-Joy. All right. Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, I have Colin Farrell, who pretty much reinvented himself since in Bruges. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Julianne Moore, Brad Pitt, and uh, Christoph Waltz. All right. So uh, honorable mentions for me. I'm gonna list off anyone I've given more than two star or more than two. I've, they've had more than two four star movies. So you've got Jeremy Renner and Rooney Mara, which I already mentioned have four four star movies over the last ten years. Then you got DiCaprio, uh, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, Sam Rockwell, Adam Driver, uh, Ben Affleck. Those are my uh, three to four four star film actors over the last 10 years okay so uh we have asked adam to submit his list as well um adam is a part of the almost sideways family he joined up what maybe five years ago now something like that uh he's been a part of our uh our almost sideways family for a little while and he sent in his uh five best actors or five favorite actors last 10 years 
we're gonna try and guess his list to see who uh, who gets to come up with next next time's uh, next time's category. Zach, why don't you start off with your prediction of what Adam's list is going to be? Yeah, is it fair to say that that Adam is like the Tom Hagen of Almost Sideways? You know, he's sort of an outsider, but he's our go-to, you know, connoisseur. I think that is um, the best comparison that could that could be had. There we go. Yes. Okay, thank you. Yes. Uh, I predict for Adam's list, and I, I want to reiterate that I've never actually met Adam face-to-face. Uh, but anyway, that's not the point. Uh, I know him so well that I'll, I'll get his list anyway. Um, my prediction for Adam's list is Tom Hardy, Miles Teller, Michael B. Jordan, Robert Pattinson, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. Todd, your list. Uh, okay, I have number five, Michael C. Hall. Number four, Chris Pratt. Number three, Ryan Gosling. Number two, Jennifer Lawrence. Number one, Leonardo DiCaprio. All right, and for my list, I have number five, Michael B. Jordan, number four, Tom Hardy, number three, Jeremy Renner, number two, Brad Pitt, and number one, Ryan Gosling. How did no one else say Chris Pratt? I don't know. That is a good one, though. That is a good one. Why didn't anybody else say Chris Pratt? Okay. Adam, his list. Let's start with some honorable mentions. He's got a long list of honorable mentions. Uh, Anton Yelchin. Paul Dano, Sam Rockwell, Brie Larson, Casey Affleck, Ryan Gosling, ah, Michelle Williams, Amy Adams, Shia LaBeouf, and of course, Peter Simonashek. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Number five, Kate Blanchett. Number four, Paul Rudd. Number three, Charlize Theron. Number two, Brad Pitt. Number one, Leonardo DiCaprio. I got one. I think I, I, think I got one. I got Leo number one. I got Brad Pitt number two. Sounds like Todd wins this one. I think he does. How do you not even mention Tom Hardy? I mean, between, like, Dark Knight Rises and Inception and Dunkirk, he should have been on this list. I can't believe he didn't have Jennifer Lawrence. And, dude, Ryan Gosling is an honorable mention... He was the main guy in two of your number ones of the year during that decade. Come on, man. Duh. I actually did research for this one, and it screwed me over. <laughs> Inside information. I know. <laughs> you actually researched Adam's list? Yeah, I went wow. through and looked at his top ten films of the last ten years. Wow, someone's desperate. He had, he had Drive number one. He has Blade Runner 2049 number one. So it's like, how is Ryan Gosling not on the list, let alone number one? Dude, I'm disappointed in you, Adam. Okay, so Todd, you get to pick the category for uh, for our next podcast. Yeah. But right now, let's move into trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And last time on Trivia, uh, Todd quizzed me and Adam. I won in our box office trivia. Uh, It did not go great. However, I did win. And I had everybody watch the 2016 Netflix film The Fundamentals of Caring, starring Paul Rudd. Uh, Adam got back to me on this. He said he gave it a three stars. He actually really liked it. 
Um, I am a big fan of the movie, and I knew nobody else that had ever either seen it or heard of it, so I wanted to talk about it with people. So, uh, Todd, tell me what you thought. Fundamentals of Caring. Okay, uh, this movie stars Paul Rudd as Ben Benjamin. It's a great name. And he enrolls <laughs> in a class of caregiving and gets his first job taking care of an 18-year-old asshole kid named Trevor, uh, who has muscular dystrophy and is uh, completely caustic and hostile. But uh, that's a nice contrast with Rudd's like, nicest guy in the world routine that he always does. Uh, they find a connection because he can actually put up with the sarcasm and throw it back at him. Uh, it was direct to Netflix, which makes sense, and it's it's fine. I don't think it would have been a box office draw anyway. It reminds me of like those sappy indie comedies in the 2000s, like Sunshine Cleaning and Win Win and that kind of thing. Uh, it's kind of a funny story, also kind of reminds me of I that. love Win Win. Uh, it, I honestly can't figure out how this role was not played by Greg Kinnear. Like, it pretty much defines every <laughs> role Greg Kinnear has ever played. Um, I don't know. What uh, One thing that annoyed me is that it's, it takes place in Seattle, but it's clearly not shot there. It's like, it's just lazy to put, like, the space nibble in the background of a freeway scene. I don't know. That kind of thing just drives me crazy um so i don't know they end up going on a road trip which is like the cliche plot device that all indie comedies use to uh yeah promote bonding or something um the best moment in the movie is when uh rudd's giving to the kid for not being able to like spit out more than a word to the girl because she liked his shoes like i thought that was actually kind of funny but most of the movie isn't really all that funny it's just sort of like dry sense of humor and i think the random outbursts and pranks and f-bombs are supposed to be make it more of a comedy but i don't know it just seems like screenwriting 101 and it's fine i think i there are parts of it that i wouldn't mind watching if it was on tv which it never will be because it's direct on netflix uh i don't know it was okay i give it two stars okay zach what'd you think yeah, I'm mostly with Todd on this one. I felt the the beats of the screenwriter very predictable. Uh, you could see things coming a mile away. You know, the person following them on this uh, you know stupid journey was I thought very obvious. I think there were some very predictable moments throughout. Uh, I didn't find the characters particularly likable. Um, I didn't like the way that it was shot in this very kind of sterile Netflixy way. Um, the random f bombs thrown in, uh, you know, I think for shock value or something it was like kind of unnecessary i like that the movie focused on a character with disability because we don't see that very often in mainstream movies but i dislike the fact that it was played by an actor who does not have a disability uh, i like jennifer e lee as the uh as trevor's mother i think she's a cr uh, criminally underused actress um but that's about it in terms of things i liked i thought it was pretty forgettable unfunny and uh i i did not cry i did not need to grab a handkerchief at any time during this movie i kind of wanted to turn it off so one and a half stars for me oh yeah i i wanted to watch this again before we talked about it. i didn't get a chance to uh, over the last week, but um, I remember I gave it three and a half stars, but I kind of felt bad for giving it three and a half stars. I really wanted to give it three, but uh, it was one of those where I gave it three and a half stars because maybe I would talk some people into seeing it because I thought it was something that 
I thought it was funny. I thought it was sweet. I thought it was uh, it was a good a good time. I I didn't feel like I wasted my time watching a movie like this. Um, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting the the screenwriter and director was actually a former writer and producer on the Late Show with David Letterman. And after he after Letterman ended, this is what he went and did: is he went and made this film. Um, I thought the kid was really interesting. Um, like I said, I it, it's kind of interesting to have a kid uh, with a disability. Uh, be the be the lead here um and yeah paul rudd did his thing but there's nothing wrong with paul rudd doing his thing i really like it now i'm glad you guys have seen it even if you didn't love it i'm glad i'm glad someone else out there has seen this movie i'm sure a lot of people have it's on netflix yeah but it it was it was like a a direct-to-netflix before people realized that there were direct-to-netflix films i don't know i don't think that many people who knows it's it was too, it was it was too happy, you know. It it was like, uh, I I, I it, it was promising at the beginning when it was basically like a riff on the Bubble Boy episode of Seinfeld. But you know that episode was like sarcastic and sort of cynical and biting, and I liked that. And this movie had no bite. It was just heart, and it wanted to hug you, and uh, I wanted to run away. Yeah, the ending was lame, but all right. Well, um. To the victor go the spoils, so I had to make you watch a movie. And now, because I was the winner, I get to run this week's trivia game. And whoever wins this not only gets to pick a movie for everybody else to watch, but also they get to run the trivia game for the next podcast. So we are going to be doing some Oscars trivia. However, it is uh, going to be kind of similar to what we've been doing recently, and I have some categories here that we're going to be running through. It's kind of been a a thing to have three categories. So I have three categories of Oscar trivia that we are going to work our way through. Uh, We're going to go back and forth to see how many you guys can come up with. Once someone is out, the uh, person remaining gets a point and they get to continue and see how many more they can get. uh, And they get a point for each one after that. So our first category is Male actors that have had six or more acting nominations. Male actors that have had six or more acting nominations. This is a list of 16 male actors that have had six or more acting Oscar nominations. We're going to go with... Uh, Todd, since you are the uh, the uh, last winner that is a part of this, you get a pick. Do you want to go first or second? I'll go first. You go first. Okay. Go for it. Uh, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson is the leader with 12 nominations. That is correct. Uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro has had seven nominations. That is correct. Al Pacino. Al Pacino has had eight nominations. That is correct. Uh, James Stewart. Jimmy Stewart is incorrect. I think he's got like three. Todd gets the point, and Todd, can you continue? Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy has nine. Uh, Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemon has eight. Uh, Marlon Brando. 
Marlon Brando has eight. Lawrence Olivier. Lawrence Olivier has ten. Uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall has seven. Uh, Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole has eight. Uh, Five seconds. Clark Gable. Clark Gable's incorrect. Well, you got you got six extra, so we have a seven nothing lead right now. The other names you did not get, starting from the bottom, uh, Daniel Day Lewis has six. Mm. Michael Caine has six. Richard Burton has seven. Jeff Bridges has seven. Dustin Hoffman has seven. Denzel Washington has eight. And Paul Newman has nine. Okay. So, Zach, you've dug yourself a little bit of a hole, but you've got plenty of opportunity to get yourself out of it. Moving on to our second category, now we're moving on to actresses that have had six or more acting Oscar nominations. This is a list of 19. There have been 19 actresses that have had six or more acting Oscar nominations. Todd started the last one, so Zach, you get to start this one. Go for it. Uh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep has had 21 (laughs) Oscar nominations. Correct. Uh, Todd. Betty Davis. Betty Davis has had 10. Correct. Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn has had 12. Correct. You got the first three on the list. Uh, Thelma Ritter. Thelma Ritter has had six. Correct. Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman has had seven. Correct. Judy Dench. Judy Dench has had seven. Correct. Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor. Incorrect. Todd gets another point. Todd, can you keep going? Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet has had seven. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett has had seven. Uh, Olivia de Havilland. Olivia de Havilland is incorrect. All right. The ones that you missed with six nominations, Sissy Spacek, Maggie Smith, Norma Shearer, Vanessa Redgrave, Jessica Lange, Deborah Kerr, Glenn Close, Ellen Burstyn. With seven nominations, Greer Garson and Jane Fonda. And with eight nominations, Geraldine Page. Okay. So, Todd is now winning 10 to nothing. But this last list is a much more expansive list, so Zach, you have plenty of time to catch up. Sure. This last list is films that won seven or more Oscars in their respective years. Films that won seven or more Oscars. This is a list of 26 movies, by the way. So like I said, Zach, you got some time if Todd messes this up. Alright, 26 movies that have won seven or more Oscars. Todd, you're starting. Go. Titanic. Titanic won 11. Correct. Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind won 8. 
Mrs. Miniver. Mrs. Miniver is incorrect. So did you say? Did you say incorrect? Incorrect. Mrs. Miniver is incorrect. So Zach, you have a point, and you have twenty-four films out in front of you that you can go get this win. Cabaret. Cabaret is correct. It won eight. The Last Emperor. The Last Emperor. One nine. Gigi. Gigi to Todd's dismay. One nine. Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire. One eight. Ben Hur. Ben Hur. One eleven. West Side Story. West Side Story. One ten. Amadeus. Amadeus. One eight. Star Wars. Star Wars is incorrect. Oh, oh, you had a good shot at this. You made it respectable. It was a 10 to 8 finish. Let me go over the ones you're going to kick yourself for. Hurt Locker, Return of the King. Yeah. Return of the King was the other one with 11. Uh, English Patient had 9. Uh, From Here to Eternity on the Waterfront, My Fair Lady and Gandhi had 8. I didn't get any of the ones with seven, which are Going My Way, The Best Years of Our Lives, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, Patton, The Sting, Out of Africa, Dances with Wolves, Schindler's List, Shakespeare in Love, and Gravity. So, Todd. How many, get, did, what? how many did Star Wars win? Star Wars, I want to say it won like five. Mrs. Miniver won six. Mrs. Miniver won six. You were close. You were close. It was nominated for 12. Star Wars won six Oscars. Oh, won six. All right, so Todd, you get to pick a film for... Uh, it could be just Zach to watch. You could pick a film for all of us to watch. Uh, that is up to you. And you get to host the uh, the trivia game next time between me and Zach. Woohoo. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's wrap up this podcast. We've been... Uh, we've been pontificating way too long but we have one more thing to do and that is to get to our quote of the day strawberries not the cheese womack you bastard quote of the day uh i'm gonna start us out as i was going through what to say for our quote of the day i decided to go back to 2008 and think about what was our most quoted quote of 2008 and there was only one choice as I looked at the films that came out in 2008 it's a simple quote of two words and those two words were spoken by the one and only Dennis Quaid rewind that very nice vantage point the most overplayed trailer in film history and the most underwhelming result from it. Actually, we all knew the film was going to be terrible. And it lived up to it. So, you could say it it was what we thought it was. Alright. Uh, Todd, why don't you go next? Okay, mine comes from uh, the movie that we broke down earlier, uh, History of Violence. It is by <sighs> the William Hurt character, uh, Richie <laughs> Cusack. Which is a crime that he's only... I think that's the only mob series ever played. He should do that more often. It's... 
You broke into a main man's place. You killed some of his guys. You took his eye. Jesus, Joey, you took his eye. Barbed wire, wasn't it? You always were the crazy one. I think my favorite quote from that movie is, When we were kids, I snuck into your room and tried to smother you in your crib. I get, Apparently kids do that. Apparently kids do that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Zach. Aren't, aren't the Cusacks supposed to be from Chicago? Um, my quote is uh, from... In your eyes. My quote is uh, not from a movie. It's a real-life quote from my number one actor of the last ten years, and it's Jennifer Lawrence describing um, her review of Phantom Thread. I got through about three minutes. I put in a good solid three. I'm sorry to anyone who loved that movie. I couldn't give it that kind of time. It was three minutes, and I was just kind of... I mean, it's just about clothes. Is he, like, kind of a narcissistic sociopath, and he's, like, an artist, so every girl falls in love with him because he makes her feel bad about herself, and that's the love story? I've been down that road. I know what that's like. I don't need to watch that movie. And and I think that's a perfect summary of uh, Phantom Thread. She by got- the best at by the best actor of the last 10 years and she got that from three minutes of the film and yeah that is pretty much a summary yeah. of the entire film see that's how you know you're working with someone who's gifted she just knows right away all right well uh thank you for uh for listening to us um again happy 10th anniversary to almostsideways.com uh this was a fun trip down memory road for some uh for some parts of this podcast and and hopefully we'll be going for 10 years more hopefully we'll uh We'll feel like uh, in 10 more years we're not just talking to ourselves. I think this episode has lasted 10 years. It, it feels like it Should a be. little bit. It feels like it. Look but, back at the beginning of the episode. Nostalgia. Exactly. <laughs> Remember when we talked about the Oscars and the popular film? <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank, you, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Find us all over the internet. Uh, almostsideways.com, Facebook, Twitter. Um, the uh, Adam Daily YouTube channel, which just relaunched. Um, and uh, we will catch you next time on the Almost Sideways podcast. Have fun watching films. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.